As you probably know, if you've been here before, we are on a one-year journey through the entire Bible. And that takes a lot. You got to keep moving. And well, this morning we've come to the book of Psalms, which is right in the middle of the Bible, 150 chapters long, longest book in the Bible. And so I was torn, how much of it should I cover? But I decided, you know what, we can do this, especially third service when you have all day long. (laughs) The book of Psalms, the word psalm just means song. And it was the book of, of the songs of the children of Israel. And also in the early church, it became the hymn book of the church. Today, we still sing many songs that come from this book of Psalms as well. But as you read through the Psalms, you realize that there are different things that are going on in the Psalms. Uh, There are different types of Psalms, and today we will go through some of the basic types of Psalms, and I think after we get through it, as you read through Psalms on your own, you'll be able to recognize some of the different categories. There's a lot of, of overlap between them, but ultimately there are these different ways of, of human expression that come out in the Psalms. And it's important to remind ourselves that this is all inspired by God, because a lot of it is surprising. There are some of these types of psalms that we will look at that you go, why in the world would anyone write a song about that? Why would it be okay for someone to say some of those shocking things? But the truth is, as you go through the book of Psalms, you discover that what it's ultimately about is the voice of honesty. God putting his stamp of approval on people saying what they feel and what they need to hear. And that is something that is shocking to us because, frankly, we build our culture around the idea that you should only think certain things, you should only feel certain things. And in constructing our concept of Christianity, we've designed it in such a way that inadvertently it encourages people to be phony because we feel that, oh, as Christians, we should act a certain way, feel a certain way, say only certain things, and we narrow our relationship with God, just like our relationship with people, down to the point where who we are presenting ourselves as is just a shell of who we really are. We kind of corporately cooperate with creating a culture that's safe, that doesn't make anyone uncomfortable. The problem with that is, God is someone who, above everything else, he is true. And he wants us to be honest. He says, the truth will set you free. The devil, on the other hand, who's involved with this titanic struggle for our souls, the devil, at his essence, is a liar and a deceiver. And so, anything that misrepresents reality is something that Satan is taking advantage of. I'm not saying he's the one that makes us do this, but we have allowed our culture, Christian culture, to reflect only parts of reality. And I I, I talk to people all the time who say that they are feeling something or thinking something, and they feel guilty for feeling that way or for thinking that. And that is the influence of the devil telling people it's not okay to feel certain things. It's not okay to think certain things. And we try to crush the feelings that we have by pretending that they don't exist. And the devil knows how powerful this is. Because if you are feeling hopeless, you feel like you don't want to live anymore, and then so you go, oh, a Christian shouldn't feel this way. So I want to try not to feel that way. Well, try not to think of a pink elephant. What happens? It just becomes completely self-defeating. The thing we discover in the Psalms, perhaps more than anywhere else in the Scriptures, is that whatever you feel, whatever you think, however you're struggling, God wants to hear 
the truth from you. And that's a precious moment to him when you are honest with him. Because as God listens to prayers, frankly, most of it is a bunch of baloney. It's people saying things they don't feel, they don't believe, they don't know, but it's like, oh yeah, we're, we have to speak really spiritual to God. The truth is, all he wants from you is reality, is what is human. Jesus came to become a human so that he could totally understand how we feel. And he was tempted in everything as we are, yet without sin. And the book of Psalms is like God's way of letting us eavesdrop on people who were honest with him. To hear, to overhear, in a sense, the voices of honesty. And it's disturbing in places, but it's very refreshing because deep down inside, unless you've completely fooled yourself, you're gonna see some things in here that you felt yourself. Maybe that you feel often. And if you're not feeling it, you're gonna realize there are people around you who feel this way and it resonates with them. Turn to Psalm 13, first of all. I already said there are a lot of different categories of psalms. And there are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. There are psalms about the Messiah. There are psalms of heading to the temple. And we're going to look through all of these types and categories of psalms. But the first category of psalm is the one that appears more than any other category by a long shot. And these are called the Psalms of Lament, L-A-M-E-N-T. The one thing we don't want to hear from anyone is lament. I don't want to hear your sad story. I don't want to hear that you feel miserable. And if there's one thing that isolates us, just like we saw in the book of Job, it's when we are in incredible pain And we don't even know quite how to express it. And whatever we say about our pain ends up sounding wrong. And like we think God will crush us if we tell him how we feel because it seems so warped. Because everybody else is so phony that when we face what we're dealing with, often we feel like I better not say that. God's going to get upset with me. What we learned in the book of Job is God just wants to hear the truth from you. You can tell him anything, and he gets it. Because who you are is a human. And everything that you feel and everything that you struggle with is just humanity. And God loves humanity. And he accepts us the way that we are. So the Psalms of Lament, there are a ton of them. And if you begin to categorize Psalms, you're going to be surprised how many there are. Now, most of the Psalms of Lament will be characterized by Wow, I never heard that psalm. Nobody ever preached on it. Nobody ever made a praise song about it. Nobody ever, it's like these rare psalms, and yet there there are more of them than any other kind. Psalm 13 is just an example. Check this out. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider, hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This is killing me. I don't want to live anymore. Lest my enemy say, well, I beat him. Lest those who trouble me are happy. Verse 5, but I've trusted in your mercy. I'm not like a bad person. I'm trusting in you. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. When you come through, it'll be great. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Most of the Psalms of Lament end up with a statement of faith that goes, God, I want you to understand, I, I really believe in you, but I, this is how I feel. Now, again, I have never yet heard someone make a song about a psalm like this. Because the truth is, if you're there, you don't want to hear about it. And if you're there, if you're in this place, if you're feeling like life hurts so much, I am miserable, I feel like God's not here at all. Everybody else is like, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I'm like, what? God, how long? I'd rather die than be where I am. 
And that's not something that we write a song about, but that's something that God said, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Because I know you're feeling it, and I want you to say it. Because you are taking a step in the direction of reality, of sincerity, of authenticity. I'm seeing that. I've been wondering how long you were going to act like a phony and pretend like everything was okay. If you don't hurt, you don't get life. If you don't hurt sometimes, you're in denial, absolute denial. Oh, you're all singing your little sweet little songs and acting all cheery. And you know what happens to a person who's experiencing the pains of life and some of them that they can't even explain? They're like, there must be something really wrong with me, man, because everybody else is so happy all the time. And they tell me, yeah, I used to be miserable until I came to Jesus, and now I'm happy. And I'm like, I came to Jesus, and sometimes it's even more miserable. And, I, and, and God's not threatened by it. We saw it in Job. God's like, you can tell me that. That's a part of being human. People who aren't feeling that sometimes are fooling themselves. They're pretending. And we create this myth that's like, well, if you're a Christian, you always have to be this way. And so the honest person feels like, I stink as a Christian because I'm not all bubbly all the time. We turn Christianity into a game, and God doesn't do that. And so you will see over and over again in these psalms, Example of people who are just going, I got more questions than answers. I have more pain than I do healing. The story of my life is not just this wonderful little thing of, and everybody lived happily ever after. The truth is, I hurt, and I'm not even sure why. I just hurt. And God goes, Now we're getting somewhere because you've stopped pretending. And so, reading these Psalms of Lament again, there are more of those than there are any other Psalms. Now, we get to the next category. Turn over to Psalm 58 for one example of it. It gets even more surprising. Psalm 58 is an example of what we call imprecatory Psalms. An imprecatory Psalm is basically calling out a curse on somebody else. (laughs) And that's not something that we think, oh yeah, let's make a song about that. You know, this is a good thing. I can, I can identify some of the reasons why life stinks for me, and so let me name some names and suggest what God could do to those people. To us, that feels like, oh, that's the most unspiritual thing in the world. But this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In this case, here's what David prayed, Psalm 58. And he's talking first to people who have messed up his life? Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? You're looking down your nose at me. No, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Man, you've been messed up since you were born. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. He's like upset with some people. He's going, they've been warped from the beginning, and they are creating problems, and they're, they just bring pain into people's lives. Everything they do is just makes people miserable. And we would say, quit complaining. You know, what are you griping? Why don't you see that behind every cloud is the sun? You know, every cloud brings rain and freshness. Look at it in a better way. They mean well. All those people are, you know, you rise above them. Find your best life now. And You know, but David is like, no, man, these people, they're awful. But it gets even worse. He goes, and by the way, God, I have an idea Break their teeth in their mouth, O oh God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. 
you imagine making a song about that? There are some people, I just wish they'd be like a snail. When you put salt on them, they just melt away. Like a stillborn child of a woman. I wish they weren't born, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind. As in his living and burning wrath, the righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. That would be a clever tune. So that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. What do we do with these imprecatory psalms? This seems so brutal. This seems so grotesque. It seems so unspiritual. But you know what we've done? The truth is we have so watered down our view of life that we can't even bring ourselves to to ask, God, I have some suggestions for people that you should destroy. (laughs) Now, why don't we do that? First of all, we're superstitious because we're afraid I might be wrong about that person and I'd hate for them to find out that I'm praying that God would shatter their teeth within their mouth. (laughs) I'm afraid somebody will be praying that about me. Well, the good thing is God's not gonna mess somebody up because you tell him to. But what God does is he's like, okay, I think we're getting to a problem. You're expressing yourself, and you will not be healthy if you don't express yourself. Now, I could have had somebody write a song to this scripture, and then on the screen suggest pictures of certain people that might be in my wheelhouse of who I want to destroy, Um, but that wouldn't be very nice. But the truth is, even in my own heart, It's hard for me to acknowledge that sin is as bad as it is and people can be as hurtful as they are. And here God says, I'm gonna put that in my songbook because if you can't process what you're feeling about people, you'll never get past it. If you've entrusted them to God in this way, and, I, and I've heard people always saying, oh, you know, you need to forgive everyone. And there's truth to that. If you've been the victim of abuse and things like that, you need to get to the point where you let go of that person because they control you otherwise. Continuing to be bitter against somebody for year after year after year is like drinking poison and waiting for them to die. It just doesn't work that way. But at the same time, It's an unhealthy thing to just very quickly dismiss those who have hurt you and pretend like it doesn't hurt or pretend like, yep, I've forgiven them, it's fine. You should be ticked off at certain people. That's totally okay with God. He's he's like, this doesn't, not only doesn't freak me out, it might make you feel good to actually say this. And so he allows his people to do these imprecatory psalms in order to say, get it out of your system. You know, some, you might do this on a, on a punching bag. Don't do it on the people in your family. Don't do it on your dog or something. But find a way to express this because there are some things in life that should make you mad. There are some people in life that should make you mad. And what we do often, someone does something that hurts us, and we pretend like it doesn't hurt. We actually, and usually people who hurt other people usually have a way of making you feel like it was your fault. So there are people, for instance, who have hurt me, and I feel bad for the way I responded to them hurting me. So that doesn't ever give me an opportunity to process this as a human. It makes me go into denial and to pretend like, oh, no. That was a long time ago. It didn't hurt. I forgave them. Everything's fine. What we get from the Psalms is stop being a phony. Sometimes there are things that people do that are worth getting mad about. God gets mad at people. Ultimately, he's going to destroy what's left of the world because he's sick and tired of what evil does. And so here in these imprecatory psalms, we see a great reminder that if you feel it, it's, you're just human. It's okay to feel that. And God doesn't mind you telling him. He doesn't get all offended. 
doesn't hurt his feelings. He doesn't like go running because, oh, you can't use that kind of language with God. You can use any kind of language with God. He invented language. What he wants is for you to be honest. And so he gives us examples of people who were. And David, interestingly, as he wrote many of these imprecatory psalms, remember David is the one that God describes as being the man after my own heart. So maybe the way we are as humans is closer to being in the image of God than we sometimes realize. The answer is certainly not to pretend something or to stick your head in the sand. That's not what God's asking ever. Now we kind of take it a step further if you turn back to Psalm 51. You'll see an example of a penitential psalm and there are several of these. Penitence is coming with repentance to confess your sin and receive forgiveness from God. The, the backstory of Psalm 51 was David and what he had done in sinning. And he first ended up, he saw a married woman, Bathsheba, that he was attracted to. And in those days, if you're king, all you need to do is be attracted to someone and you can have them brought to your house and do what you want with them. And he had done that and thought it was fine, but the gal got pregnant. So then he's like, well, her husband's off at war. He's a brave warrior. And so he got the husband to come home hoping that he would sleep with his wife and then believe the kid was his. But, his hus- but her husband, Uriah, was so loyal that he goes, I'm not going to do that. So he goes back to battle and Bathsheba's getting more pregnant. It's going to become obvious what happened. And so what he did is he ended up making some military commands that would set Uriah up to get killed. And he did. He was murdered. Um, And then David is the big hero. Because he goes, oh man, Uriah is a great soldier and he died. He left a pregnant wife. I'm going to be magnanimous and I'm going to take in his wife and I'm going to adopt his kid and look at me. And it causes other soldiers to go, wow, that's great. You know, we know if, if we get killed, it's nice to know that our, our wife will be taken care of by King David, especially if she's really good looking. But, you know, they're kind of putting it together. David's looking pretty good. And the prophet Nathan comes to him. David's not even thinking of it by this time. Everything's fine. Nathan comes to him, tells him a story about a guy who had only one little lamb and somebody else wanted that lamb and came and killed him to take his little lamb. And David goes, that's horrible. Get that guy in here right now. We'll punish him to the fullest extent of the law. And Nathan said to him, David, you're the man. You are the man. And David was just nailed with his sin at this point. And he, he repented before God. I have sinned. And then he wrote Psalm 51. And it says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward parts, and I haven't done that. Purge me, clean me, make me hear joy and gladness. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast your Holy Spirit from me. And, and, and then he talks about God wanting a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart is all that God desires. So this personal expression of penitence, and then King David does an amazing thing. He writes this out as a prayer to God, and then he gives it to the worship leader, and he said, put music to this. I want everybody to hear this. Wow. Now, Remember, again, we are talking about a human with the full breadth of human emotions. And a lot of people can't really deal with their own sin because they haven't really dealt with other people's. 
They don't even realize how much they hurt. They won't acknowledge that people have hurt them. And so they can't even get to this point of going, wow. See, after I eliminate all the phony condemnation from everybody else, then it's safe enough for me to be with God, a loving God. And, and in his case, when Nathan told him, you're the, you're the guy, he said, I have sinned. And Nathan said, and God has forgiven you. It's important for us to recognize when we blow it and to admit it and, and to find a safe place to express that. Often confessing sins, the Bible says confess your faults one to another. Sometimes it's good to do that. The Catholic Church has turned this into going in with a priest and being behind a little veil and being able to, you know, talk to them and tell them what you've done. I'm, they have a point. It's really a good thing for you to be able to confess your sin, for sure. I'm sure glad we don't do it at our church. Last thing I want to do is spend my week listening to all of your garbage. But <laughs> I think at the end of all that, instead of telling you to do Hail Marys, I would just go, you know, you got your problems and I have mine. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's so important for us to admit. Because see, when you can't admit your sins, what are you saying essentially? You're saying, I got this. I can do this. And you're presenting this phony front to everyone that you're somebody that you aren't. You're, you're living a lie and getting by on that and having everybody think you're okay and I'm okay and everybody's okay when we actually are able to look honestly in the mirror, when we've come to terms and processed what we're feeling and at the right time we're convicted by sin, we get to bring it to him so that it's removed from us and he instantly forgives us. And so it's good to find people that you can share with who then will tell you immediately you've been forgiven. You have to be careful because there are some phonies that when they hear what you say you've done, they're just gonna use it against you. I was reminded this week of a story about three pastors who decided they wanted to have an accountability group. And so the three of them got together and they were just going to share openly what's going on in their hearts. And it's kind of a fad nowadays. But one of the pastors, the first guy goes, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I have a major problem with lusting after women. And I've done a bunch of things with a bunch of women and it's, it's bad. So they go, hmm. Second guy goes, my problem isn't women, it's money. I'm stealing money from the church, misappropriating funds. I'm not doing what I should be doing with my money. I'm spending it on foolish things. And they go, okay. And the third guy said, well, I don't really have a problem with women or with money. Um, my problem is gossip. And I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> but if we all understand that we only stand by the grace of God. And if we're all honest, then life and the church becomes a safe place to be yourself. And that's what it should be. And that's ultimately the kindness of God, Peter says, brings us to repentance. It's realizing how safe it is with him that we can then be honest and be freed up from the junk that we're carrying and so these penitential psalms just do a wonderful job of reminding us of that truth. Another kind of psalm, and you can turn over to Psalm 1 as one of the examples of this. They're called didactic psalms. Didactic means they are there to teach. And again, it's still the outflowing of honesty because the truth is, as you live your life and as you fail, and as you're victimized, and as you're angry, and as you learn some things, it starts to come together and you see patterns developing. That when I lived this way, it, it resulted in more pain. When I lived another way, I started feeling myself set free. And so the idea is there are choices in life, and choices have consequences. Now, a lot of people don't want to admit that because they don't want to admit that they haven't always done it right. And so typically, we have these, these um, 
you know, testimonies where somebody goes, before I was a Christian, I did all kinds of horrible things. But ever since then, I came to Jesus, and now I'm, well, you can see, I'm amazing. (laughs) But what message does that send to a person who's honest enough to admit, man, some of the hardest things I've been through have been since I became a Christian? You know, the, the answer is not simply pray a little prayer, accept Jesus, and, you know, this is about a walk with God. This is about living your life in a certain way, and the truth is there's a lot about life that you can learn by doing things differently and seeing what the results are. A lot of this is what we call discipleship, and as Jesus told the the disciples to go into all the world and teach the good news, you know, baptizing people, telling them the gospel, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you teaching people, here's the way when you live this way, it really works out better, because I know, I've been both ways. But it takes a certain vulnerability to be able to live honestly before people. But the greatest thing about having screwed up a bunch is that it does give you an opportunity to be able to tell people, I understand where you're coming from. Not to go, I don't know how in the world, I don't understand you at all, but we have this professional that they get it, and so you can go to them. Instead, it's like, you know what? Your life, your, your mistakes, your successes, they become lessons. And Psalm 1 is an example of that. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. How do you know that getting counsel from ungodly is a bad idea? Well, you've done it. (laughs) How do you know that standing in the path of sinners is something that's destructive and counterproductive to being blessed and happy? You've probably been there. Sitting in the seat of the scornful, sitting there with others and making fun of the things of God, been there, done that. But the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord And in his law, he meditates day and night. There's an option of either listening to everything that the world has or really spending some time in God's word and letting it work through me and letting it do an honest work in me. And when you do that, be like a tree planted by the rivers of water bringing forth fruit in its season at the right time. Its leaf also shall not wither And whatever he does shall prosper. What an amazing promise that everything that you do will ultimately work when you live your life meditating on God's word. What an important lesson that is to learn. And then he says, the ungodly, they get blown away like chaff and ultimately they'll face him in judgment. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is the voice of someone who has tried it both ways and who can say, let me save you some trouble. There are always going to be choices in your life, and better choices bring better results. You have the opportunity to make a difference in your own life by the choices that you make. And sometimes they won't be choices that make you feel good. Sometimes they'll be choices that hurt really bad. The most painful things you'll ever do in your life are gonna be the right things, But ultimately, what's the conclusion? Where does it end up? Well, an experienced person who's honest can tell you because they've lived it. Uh, Another didactic psalm that's worth mentioning, I'm not going to read it to you, Psalm 119, the longest psalm, 175 verses. And it's an interesting construction, a brilliant construction. Now, this whole psalm is about God's word. And if you read through Psalm 119, look at how many synonyms that you find for the Bible. It talks about his meditations, it talks about his testimonies, it talks about his judgments, it talks about his word. All these different ways of saying, this is about the Bible. So it's basic, didactic communication. Now the thing that's kind of cool about it, notice it starts, it says Aleph, and it has a little Hebrew 
letter for, for Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet. And then there's eight verses, and then Baith, and there's eight verses, and Gimel, and there's eight verses, and Daleth, and there's eight verses, and Hay, and so on. And it goes through the whole Hebrew alphabet. Um, if we did it, it would be A, B, C, D, and we have 26 letters in our alphabet. They have 23, so that's how many sections there are. But each of these sections, amazingly, like in Aleph, every one of those eight verses starts with the letter A. Imagine trying to write something, eight sentences that start with A, eight sentences that start with B, eight sentences that start with C, and so on. So it's this amazingly constructed thing that's brilliant, that is not only constructed brilliantly, somebody had to spend some serious time in that, but it's a greatly constructed song with this, with the limitations of alliteration built into it. Now, today, people tend to think of poetry as it doesn't need to rhyme, doesn't need to have rhythm, you just kind of say it. And that's fine, and I, I can appreciate a lot of writing that's that way. Partly because you hear things that are all rhyming and that have a rhythm and they're really cheesy. But this isn't that way. It's profound. And some of the most brilliantly written songs have rhythm, have rhyme, and they still mean something. It doesn't sound like somebody threw the word in there just because it rhymes with another word. And so this psalm is that way. It's didactic. It teaches so much. Um, But also, um, the reason probably why it was constructed this way is it provided a means to remember that which was being taught. Because you'd know, okay, what's the A section? And so kids would study this and it would kind of get programmed into them. The scriptures would become a part of their awareness, and they had a way to organize it. See, the things that you remember best are the things that fall into a pattern, and that they're organized, and so that's what they did. Over at Calvary with the kindergarten kids, they always, they had in kindergarten 26 memory verses, and there was an A verse, and like all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, a B verse, a C verse, all the way through. A couple of them they really had to stretch, like Q, I think the verse was quit you like men, which nobody really understands that, but it is a verse. But, uh, but it was so cool to hear five-year-olds, and the teacher goes, A, and they say the A verse, B, they say the B verse, all the way through the alphabet by the end of the year. Amazing the value of that kind of a lesson, and so... That's what we see going on here, but there's a lot that we can learn. And especially when you've been freed up by God, then it's like, okay, I'm feeling some peace here. What am I gonna learn about his word? Because ultimately, it's all about his word. Now, back in chapter, in Psalm 20, we see another category, and I'll try to finish up the rest of this, because... I know Jerry wants to see that San Francisco game. (laughs) Psalm 20 is an intercessory psalm. Intercession is when you pray for somebody else. And it's a beautiful thing, important part in life. And there are several intercessory psalms here, but here's an example. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. And then he shifts to we. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And then in verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Intercession is where now you're not just consumed with what you're going through. You know that there's somebody else who could really use you to pray God's blessings on them. Why? Well, they may feel really alone. Or they may be frustrated right now. They may be imprecatory, you know, mentality. 
but they need someone to pray for them. People who are hurting need someone who will just pray for them. And, and especially notice that as the psalmist shifts to we, it's saying, we're in this together. You're not alone. We're gonna do this. And so praying these blessings, you know, and you know, there are some great songs that have been written just desiring a blessing for someone else. I, Bob Dylan wrote a song called Forever Young, and it's just a beautiful song. May you stay forever young, and I'd love for someone to pray that for me. That's like what some of these psalms are, these, these uh, psalms of intercession. Um, I love that we have on our webpage that prayer wall where you can say what your need is and other people can pray with you, and then an email gets sent to them that says somebody just prayed for you. Sometimes that just feels so amazing. Now, we're sending a whole crew over to Cambodia. The reason we brought them up front is because they are counting on you praying for them because they might experience some difficult challenges over there. It's a beautiful country, and they're going to experience some awesome things, and being able to minister to those little orphans and go on the military bases and minister to, the, to the, these little churches out in the villages is great, but you know I've been over there a few times, and I remember one time, I got sicker than I've ever been in my life. Now, if you're going to Cambodia, it's not going to happen to you. But I got so sick that it was the one night when everybody was going to go eat at the casino where you can get good American food. Not good by our standards, but good compared to the stuff they eat. And, and I got sick from some bad chicken and rice and whatever that I had eaten that day. So I'm back in my little, my, the hotel room, which is laughably a hotel room. We'd use it for a phone booth. And... You know, I'm sitting in there just feeling miserable, and I felt so alone because I knew everybody else is out eating pizza and burgers, and I'm just, oh, I feel terrible. And then the doorways in Cambodia are made for little short people, and so I felt myself really getting sick, violently so. So I ran for this little hole, hole in the ground that they would call a restroom, and because I really didn't want to make a mess of my little mattress. So I, I, I ran to the bathroom, and the, the doorway had a piece of metal peeled off from it. And so as I dived in the doorway, I split my head open. And I'm in this bathroom, and blood is spurting with a rhythm, you know? And I'm also projectile vomiting across the room. And so I've got towels, and I'm holding, I'm like, oh, and I'm, and I, I, I knew I had a concussion, and I, I was just like, I just want to go to sleep, but I've heard, oh, no, don't go to sleep with a concussion. You got to stay awake. I'm like, oh, man, and I'm seeing blood and rice all over, and I, this is, <laughs> and as I, as I lay there feeling miserable, I thought, I'll bet right now somebody at home is praying for me, and I'm sure they were. Because God lays people in your heart. When you're doing nothing, when you're asleep and you wake up and think of somebody, or when you um, are praying and all of a sudden your mind's distracted by someone, pray for them. You don't know what they're going through, what they may need, but intercession is something that we need to do. You know how, maybe you haven't experienced this, but I've had many times when someone out of the blue shoots me an email and goes, yeah, I don't know why, but the Lord's really been laying you on my heart. And I always know why. God's so faithful at bringing people alongside us at the right time. And so intercession is something that he appreciates. He leaves us to look out for each other. And he wants us to discover the we of life, that, not the video game, and that's pretty cool too, but the, <laughs> the way that we can link together and not be alone. And so intercessory psalms. Uh, Turn over to Psalm 2, and we'll see an example of a messianic psalm. There are quite a few of these as well. And in this case, it talks about the nations that are turning against God and how God looks at them and just laughs. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He'll have them in derision. Later on, it says they're going to rebel against him, and he's going to break them with a rod of iron. And ultimately, that the kings of the earth better kiss the sun because that's their only hope of survival. A beautiful description of what Jesus' first coming and his second coming combined are. 
And sometimes we need to reflect on what's going to happen. The New Testament talks often about the fact that because we know what's going to happen, the reason why we have prophecy is because that changes our lives when we recognize what's going to happen. John talks about, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. It makes a difference. Paul told Titus in Titus 2.13, be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are some days when I don't know if I would make it if I couldn't go, someday Jesus is gonna come back and take care of this. Never more than in election years. When you look and just go, oh my. But King Jesus is coming. And that affects us when we're aware of that. We don't get freaked out. We know he wins in the end. And so a lot of these messianic psalms are just psalms of hope, of looking forward to what God's going to do. Now turn over to the last psalm, Psalm 150. There are a lot of psalms of praise and thanksgiving, but within that category, there's a specific category that are called the Hallel Psalms. The word Hallel in Hebrew just means praise. When the word Hallelujah means praise Jehovah, praise Yahweh. And the Hallel Psalms, which are Psalm 146 through 150, as well as Psalm 113 and 117, are Psalms that start and end with Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. These Hallel Psalms were sung by the Jews, particularly the evening before Passover. It was to get them ready for a special worship event. And so they would sing these songs before Passover. And today the Jews sing these Hallel Psalms um, on every day of Hanukkah. And they sing at the Feast of Trumpets and some other times as well. But these are songs that tell you to praise. I think sometimes we miss the point of these. And if I said to you, praise the Lord, and then I just wait, you'd be like, yeah. I go, praise the Lord. Okay. And then by the third time when I say praise the Lord, somebody would go, praise the Lord, like you're supposed to say it back, like it's a secret code or something. But praising the Lord is telling someone to praise the Lord. It's not, it's not saying, oh, say praise the Lord. So often what these are is reminders for us to give credit to God, to pronounce blessing on Him, to appreciate His greatness and what He's done for us, to praise the Lord, and they're reminders. And so as you look forward to something in the future, it's important to remind yourself of all the ways in which you will praise the Lord because we will be praising the Lord for all of eternity. I mean, some of you, when you listen to this loud cymbals and clashing cymbals, that's a preview of what's gonna happen in heaven, by the way, all of these things happening. Now, for some of you, you like your worship to be calm. If they start using clashing cymbals, Matt hits the thing a little too hard, You know, when you're in heaven, you're going to be first looking for the sound man to complain about the decibels, and God's just going to go, what? This is about praise. It hurts your ears a little bit. So what? You didn't mind it at at the baseball game when people were screaming. I'm not worthy of that, of stretching you a little bit. And so, but don't worry, I'm not going to unleash the band on you because we're not in heaven but I will tell you, you're commanded to praise the Lord, and that's a part of what it is. It's not like singing really quietly and 
Lord, we love you. And No, we're talking about telling people, come on, get into this a little bit. Act like you mean it. Praise God like you'd praise other things. And, and so these Hallel Psalms are, again, in the spirit of what's about to happen. Now, back in Psalm 100, you'll see a more generic praise song. And it's not a Hallel, but it is a psalm that reminds us to thank him and praise him. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. He's God and we're not. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. And there are many psalms that do this that just simply praise God or remind us to praise God. Now the last category of psalms uh, are psalms, they're called psalms of ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T-S, going, you know, ascending up. And they're Psalm 120 through 134. But you can look to get an idea of it to Psalm 122. It's a great example of it. They all say a song of ascent before it in the little preview section. And so when you're reading the Psalms and you're trying to put them in categories, when you see a song of ascent, this is what it meant. This is a song they sang when they were heading to Jerusalem. Now for them, their religious life centered in Jerusalem at the temple. That was where they met God. That was where they worshiped God. And so for the major feasts, it didn't matter where you lived, you went to Jerusalem. Now, big deal. We go to church every week. Yeah, but we don't have to walk for days over rough roads, climbing over rocks, having bandits trying to rip us off and things like that. I, if I go to church and, and I have to come down El Toro Road and I'm maneuvering to avoid all the, all the, all the people who live around here. Um, it's like, oh, but these guys had to hike for days to get there. And what they would do while they were on their way to church was sing the songs of ascent. And so, like in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Down in verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So these songs help them as they headed toward Jerusalem, headed toward the temple. They're called ascent because no matter where you lived, they always referred to Jerusalem as being up because it was the center of their worship. And so wherever else you were, it's time for me to ascend. It's time for me to go up to Jerusalem. So if you were south or north of Jerusalem, you both went up. They loved doing this. They were willing to do this. And they didn't want to complain, but it would have been easy to complain. And so they sang these songs as they were going to remind them, I should be glad that I am able to come now and worship God in Jerusalem. So it's like priming the pump in a way, beginning to sing, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Because if you sing that, you have to be happy. We used to sing the old chorus, you know, and it and went, I was glad, I was glad when they said, when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Oh, that's going to be terrible on the tape or on the radio, but that's okay. But... The idea is, when you sing this, it makes you glad. You, you're reminded, what I'm doing is something special. Now, for us, are you glad when Sunday's coming? Are you glad when you get to go to church? I, I hope so. I'm going to be honest with you. As a pastor, sometimes I'm more overwhelmed. Sunday's coming, and it's looming like a monster because I feel like i got to teach on 150 psalms this week. 
And it's a week, like this week I was in school at a, doing a seminary class for my doctorate all week and I wasn't feeling well and you know, that gave me a little extra time in my study. Um, but, but, you know, it's like, ah, I gotta do this. I, I just hope I can survive. Before first service, I'll drink my five-hour energy drink and I'm, man, I'll, I'll be, I'll know, I'll start falling asleep towards the end and so third service will get out. Um, but the truth is, what we're doing right now is the biggest blessing in my life. I love it. And after it's all said and done, there's no place I'd rather be on Sunday than with God's people in the place that he has given us to do this. And, but I need to remind myself of that, that it's not just about me getting through material. It's not just about me being on the stage and having some shtick, that this is the chance to be together with God's people worshiping him and acknowledging our frailties, listening to what he has to say, committing ourselves into his hands. I, you know, people tend to sit in the same seats all the time. And one of the things that I, that I love to do when no one else is here is I'll go sit in the seat where I know somebody sits and pray for them. Because it's such a privilege to connect. And I'll, I'll sit there in somebody's seat and think, okay, how is this message going to touch this person? And it, it helps me to work through it. But the truth is, I rarely am gone for vacation. I try to plan my vacation around Sundays, which is really stupid. It's wrong. But it, but, and if I'm sick, I'm still here. But it's not because I'm so heroic. It's because I just love to get together with God's people. I would do nothing else with my life. And a week that starts without being with God's people, to me, is something's missing. And so I don't sit here thinking, I wonder how that first football game is happening today. Like, I don't care about that. You know, I'm doing what I love most. And I, but I think that for all of us, it helps if on Thursday or Friday we start getting ready for Sunday. Get ourselves in a frame of mind where we're not going, I can't do that because I have to go to church. Well, why do you have to go to church? Well, I said I'd help with children's ministry. There are some people that even that doesn't matter and they have no problem bailing on it. But you know, for all of us, if we started by saying being with God's people is one of the greatest blessings Worshiping him is more important to me than anything else that I do. We'd get our hearts ready, and chances are, when we would come into the house of the Lord, we would be glad to be here. And the Psalms of Ascent give us that. Well, I've gone way too long, but I hope you pick up from this some of these categories of Psalms, and as you read through the Psalms, you'll see. You can divide them up. Some of them are in a couple of different categories together. But what it's all about ultimately is God just going, let's meet around the truth. Let's meet around honesty. Don't pretend with me. You don't have to be somebody that you're not. Hey, if you're feeling sad, you tell him that. If you're angry at someone, you go ahead and say that. It's totally fine. It's not, he's not gonna accidentally kill them just because you pray that. He's like, it'll be good for you to say that. Some people have said, if you get really mad at somebody, write them a letter where you say everything that you want to say and, and then wad it up and throw it away. It'll be good for you. But in reminding us to praise him, in reminding us to confess our sins, in, in reminding us to prepare to be with his people, to go up to the highest part of our week, it, or, those are things that the Psalms remind us and, and do really well. But over everything else, what I want you to remember from Psalms is this. God knows everything that you feel and everything that you think and everything that you're tempted with, and he's okay with that. He just wants you to be real with him. Tell him what you feel. And he might go, believe me, I feel the same way. I know some of the things you don't know, but I get it. I know how you feel. He wants to touch you in a close and an intimate way. And the Psalms are just a beautiful example of how the Holy Spirit looks at the, the breadth of all human experience and says, I get it all. 
I accept it all. I'm okay with it all because I just want to meet you where you are. Great reminders. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. It really does surprise us. And frankly, we cherry pick the Psalms and just hang out with the ones that sound pleasant. But when we read them through, we realize that when we are miserable, you get it. When we're mad at somebody, you understand that. When we've sinned, you stand ready to forgive. It's a safe place for us to come, to come to you. And as we look forward to your return, we're reminded that that's the way to live. As we remind ourselves to praise you, and as we prepare our hearts as we ascend to the place of corporate worship, Lord, we want to be real. We're sorry for faking it, and by faking it, make other people think they need to fake it. Help us to be comfortable in our own skin because you are comfortable with us in the skin of flesh that you took on when you became a man forever. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you get us and accept us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We entered into a close relationship with God where you feel like you're safe with him. Um, Maybe you've never really let him become your Savior and Lord. He has a whole new life prepared for you, and he will meet you where you are. But if you're not sure where you stand with him, there'll be people down here in the front who love to pray with you. They would love to help you to discover that place of connection. And if you need prayer for any reason, the people who are down here are down here because they want to say we with you. They want to pray for you, pray with you. They want to acknowledge that they connect to you and they get what you're feeling. And so if you just need someone to connect with before God, come on down and get prayer. They would just be honored to do that. And I pray for all of us that this week would be a week when we realize it's okay to be human, that God meets us there. It's not okay to be phony. Don't do that, all right? God bless.